0: You are listening to a main session from Celebration Midwest 2014, a New Frontiers USA conference. If you would like more information about the Celebration conferences or the New Frontiers family of churches, please visit our website at newfrontiersusa.org. Well, hey, so glad to see you guys. I'm glad you're here. Uh, I'm glad you made the effort. I think God um, blesses when we gather. He says that. He says, when two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there. Uh, he also really blesses unity. He, he loves it, uh, not just when people gather together, but he loves to see unity and to see uh, not just uh, a church come together, but churches coming together. I think there's going to just be a massive payoff because I think God's here. He is here, and uh, I think he's got blessing in store for us. And As you may have heard, this is our 20th year, but how many here are for the first time? If you're here for the first time, would you stand up? Stand up. Come on. See ya. Yeah, I... I, I think when you, when you come to something that's been going on for 20 years, you can begin to feel like, you know, you're kind of showing up late to a party. But I, I hope that you feel welcomed and you feel really like you own the history. I mean, after I mean I haven't been here 20 years, and I feel like I own the history, and that's kind of the great thing about being a part of, uh, of God's family. He says whether you show up at 9 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 5 o'clock, we all get paid the same. And so we're all in this together, and I hope this history that we've had, if this is your first time, uh, that you kind of get caught up and you feel right at home home. Uh, we've got people from all over. we got from all over the Midwest and uh, some from it, down in Atlanta, of course, Nashville and, and Austin. Austin people, would you just stand up? You got your crew here? Yeah. Say hello to the guys down in Austin. Yeah. I got a few friends here too as well I want to introduce. I got some friends from Orange County. Uh, Jason and Candace. would you stand up? Where you at, Jason? Guys. These guys are from Orange County, friends of ours. Make sure you, if you see them eating, make sure you go say hi to them. Got a crew from Omaha. Where are you at, Ethan and Aaron? Are you here? Wait, is anyone else here from Omaha? Stand up. we got a crew from Omaha. Oh, we got some more from Omaha. Say hi to these people. And we have uh, Mike Young. Mike and Katie, are you here? Mike, there you're at. It's Katie here. I can't see. Oh yeah, awesome. They're from uh, Visalia, California, Radiant Church, and uh, we. Uh, I don't know if you guys noticed or not, but we now have a church in California as of last year, and they are part of that. Actually, uh, we'll talk more about this later, but they're going to be planting. Uh, uh, so, but we'll we'll be talking about them in the prayer meeting. But please welcome them. Welcome all these people. Uh, as well as you are uh, getting to know and seeing old friends, make sure you uh, meet new friends as well. Okay, um, well, why don't we do this? Let me pray and, and I'll get started. Uh, Father, we just thank you for uh, this promise, this everlasting promise to be with us. Lord, it's just it's, it's amazing as we read through the Bible that we see over and over again that and I'll be with you. You told Moses, hey Moses, don't you have anything to worry about? I'll be with you. And then Jesus, you he said, hey, you sent, you sent these disciples out. Um, and you send us to go into all the world and to preach the gospel and to keep going, to keep going, and keep going. It doesn't matter how afraid or how uh, uh, scared you may get. This promise is going to be true that I'll be with you, and we know that even now that you are with us. Uh, that where we go, and any time we gather in your name, you're with us, and we thank you for that promise. We, we are relying on that promise, Lord Jesus, because we are believing for things that are beyond us. We're, we're believing for things that are beyond our resources to pull off, and Lord, we need to know that you're with us. We need to know that your presence is here. We need to know that your power is at work, and we, we're so grateful we have that uh, uh, promise tonight, and it gives us such great confidence. Amen. Amen. Well, my wife and I, we uh, we bought our first house when we had been married about a year, uh, maybe a year and a half. Uh, this was back in 2002, and uh, we we love kind of old homes. And this home was a cool little old home, and but the backyard was an absolute mess. I mean, it had this kind of junky uh, swing set, kind of in I don't. Know, I mean, it was just weird in the weird spot and all cemented in, and there. I mean, there what there was the only grass was crabgrass and rocks and just went deep, and then they had like this concrete deal that I don't really know how to explain. It was just there and uh, some other like a statue and a dilapidated fence, but this didn't phase my wife. My my wife's kind of a visionary. She's much more of a, a visionary than I did. I am, and, and she got on her computer. Her little, she's a graphic designer, and so she kind of like mapped out this beautiful backyard. All right, so she had like a trellis and flowers and green and like a fountain and and, and, and an angel and a rainbow and heaven. It was just like wow, this is amazing and like and. Um, and so she said, hey, look, no big deal. She said, all we have to do is, is move this over here, lift this up, pick this up, do this, do this. And uh, if we do, we do these things, it'll be great. And, and by we, she meant me. And... Uh, I was a rookie then, but after 13 years, I know when she says we can do something, she really just means me. And I don't even think she pretends anymore. I think she just comes up and says, hey, I got something I want you to do. And so anyway, so we, so, but anyway she sells me on this very romantic idea of a backyard. It was, and so I'm like, I'm all into that until I got a shovel and started to dig. And I dug, and I dug, and I, for the first 12, all I did was dig stuff. I mean, it looked worse after the first day than the day before. And so I, I go to bed, and my hands are throbbing. I wake up, my back hurts. Um, the bottom of my feet hurt, and I couldn't figure out why the bottom of my feet hurt, but then I realized I was jumping up and down on the shovel all day, and that's why the bottom of my feet were throbbing. And so then the next, so we, we kind of cleared that out, and then the next day we had to, we had to get this 10 by 10 uh, concrete, Patio that was that was underneath the ground, like by six inches, and it went down another foot. So I got I got some friends that went to the Jubilee Church, and we got some sledgehammers. They don't go to Jubilee Church anymore. I don't know why, but they we we got these sledgehammers and we we started knocking up this ground and we weren't making progress. So I went out and got I rented a jackhammer from Home Depot, and I was like, man, this would be awesome. You know, it's easy to use a jackhammer, right? And uh, if you never used a jackhammer before, but uh, it it used me. I didn't use it, and so it. I mean, I'm going out with this jacket. I mean, my I don't know if you ever used them before, but I, I did this for about three or four hours and my arms were completely shredded. Like my four, like next morning, I'm lapping up my cereal like a dog. I mean, my hands <laughs> just were not, working at all and uh, I mean I couldn't ta- I couldn't tag I couldn't use a computer so thankfully back then we used to talk to people and we didn't just and so like I was still economically viable I could still work and so I, I because I did even though I couldn't use a computer our text and we all know that d- that day two soreness is worse than day one soreness because the blisters you got in day one they they break open and they bleed and this romantic idea of a backyard, all of a sudden was overshadowed by sweat, by blisters, by blood, and and to be honest with you, we never really finished it before we moved, And and I was thinking about this, I was thinking about this, stay with me now, stay with me, I was thinking about this, about how much the church is like this you know, because we, we have this romantic idea, you know, we want to be a New Testament church, right? I mean, we, we want to be this place where we, we love each other and we're, we're together and, and everything's great and, and we work off the, the, this basis of spiritual giftedness and everybody has a part to play and, and no one's left out and, you know, we, we kind of just put all of our chips in the middle and we, we, you know no one has any possession of their own and all the needs are taken care of, you know, and the poor are, are fed in, in, in radical ways. Not only that, but we want to be this reproducing church and we want to reproduce in every small town and big town and, and, and big cities, and we want to go there, and, and, we, and we don't want to like chicken out or get away from the rough areas and the tough areas where there's crime and there's, and there's heartache uh, because um, you know we, we want to get in those places because where education has failed, where politics have failed, where money has failed, we believe that the gospel will not fail. We believe that it will make an impact, and that's not because I say so and not because you say so, because God says so. God says that, the, that there will be no defense against a forward-advancing church. There, there's no demon, there's no uh, devil uh, in Hades that will prevail against the advancing church. This is a very, very romantic idea. Very romantic idea. And, and I'm s- glad that after 20 years that we're still excited about the romance of it all. But he- here's my question, and this is what I want to get at tonight. Does the enthusiasm remain once we start to dig? and there's blisters, and there's blood, and there's sweat. You see, it, 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 you, just, you read the New Testament just for a little bit, and you begin to pick up on a theme, a very common theme, called perseverance. I mean, it's just like all over the Bible. I mean, it's just, you just begin to read uh, page after page after page after page, and the New Testament writers in particular are warning and warning, and, and, and almost in every letter is this kind of Keep going. I mean Galatians six nine this is you know you know if you if you continue to do good, you know don 't get weary, you will reap a harvest, keep going now, Paul, Paul has all this um, military type language first Timothy six twelve says Fight the good fight of faith, take a hold of eternal life, which you were called, and about which you were made uh, the good confession, the presence of many witnesses, so keep fighting this. Uh, fight of faith. James says this, be patient therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how a farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. Being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You know, Hebrews comes out, let us run this race with endurance. There's going to need to be endurance. There's going to need to be perseverance. And Jesus gets on. I mean, I love what he says in Luke uh, 18.1. He says, he says this about Jesus. He told them a parable to the effect that they should always pray and not give up. So he's like, hey, you guys are doing great at praying. Just one problem. You give up. So let me teach you how to pray and never give up. I mean, just to come at it again and again and again and pray. And of course, there's the, in uh, Luke 14, he talks about those parables like, hey man, you've got to count the cost. You know, you've know, you got this vision, you've got this romantic idea of this tower, of this building. If you don't count the cost, you're going to end up building a foundation in some dilapidated building and you're going to be a laughingstock. So you better count the cost. Or you're going to be like a general who goes out in a war and, 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 and thinks he can win, but then he doesn't, he doesn't take into account the casualties he's going to get and you'll quit. So here's what I'm going to do tonight. I want to talk to us about perseverance. I want to talk to us uh, how Dylan talked about how, you know, God wants to take uh, these stakes, and he wants to drive them in, and where they've gotten loose, he wants to see God drive these things back deep. I hope that happens to you this week, and I hope it happens tonight. So if you'll turn with me to um, uh, 1 Kings 19, we're going to look at the life of Elisha. We're going to look at uh, three different sections of scripture, 1 Kings 19, 2 Kings 2, and 2 Kings 13, kind of skip through his life a bit. And I'm going to pick up on four key themes of perseverance that I see in the the life of Elijah that I'll bring up to you. Um, As we go, I've been studying Elisha, I've actually been studying just kind of key transitions in the Bible, like Joshua, Moses to Joshua, Joshua uh, to the tribes, and uh, this one here. Uh, is pretty helpful. Uh, just going to take a look here at this passage um, together. Verse uh, Kings 19, we'll pick it up in verse 19. Um, so he departed, this is Elijah, okay, Eli- Elijah to Elisha, this is Elijah. So he, Elijah, departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphath, Shep- who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was the twelfth. So all this is saying is that he's rich. Okay, so if you are, if you are, a, a yoke of oxen is two oxen, and if you are the 12th, that is, you are the one behind, and you've got 11 guys in front of you, you're the, you're the boss, you're the supervisor, you and all the oxen, and he's, so he's running the show here. So this guy has got some bills in the bank. He's not, he's not some dude who has nothing better to do like skipping rocks. He's got a life going on here. He had this life of comfort, and he's getting ready to be called out of that life uh, of comfort by a guy who's notorious for being chased by scary women and hiding in caves, all right? So this is the kind of the picture here, but he does call fire from heaven, so that's kind of a, you know, evens out. So Elijah passed him by and cast his cloak on him, kind of like Elvis at the end of a concert, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. He said to him, go back again for what, I, for what have I done to you, meaning like, hey, I'm not the one who called you. This is God who's doing this. And they returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of oxen and gave it to the people. And they ate. So here's what just happened. He just barbecued uh, all of his wealth. He took all of his wealth, he took his oxen, and he, and he barbecued it uh, with his plowing equipment, severing any possibility of ever going back to that life. He just took that life of comfort and burned it. To do what? Well, let me show you what he did. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. His life, his call as a prophet, began leaving a life of wealth to be a valet, to be a personal assistant, to do the guy's dry cleaning, to watch and observe, not for a one year internship. Not two years, not three years, not five years, not ten years. If you kind of read the history of kings, you see that from the, the moment that he called him in 1 Kings 19 to 2 Kings 2, when he actually took over, is a span of 18 years that he assisted Elijah. Here's the first area that I want us to have some endurance in. That I want us to have some perseverance in training. We need to persevere in training And by training, by training, I mean just holistically, like taking on uh, the thing. This this is for everybody, taking on uh, what God has put in front of us and going out, uh, uh, going for it with some zeal. Uh, Some of you are wrestling with delay. you, 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 you kind of took on a call maybe maybe you, you, you went on a church plan or you just kind of you got on a, a kind of a training program or you had this idea of what God may do in your life and there's been some delay it hasn't happened the way you thought it would happen Elisha served as an attendant for 18 years after receiving a call for, as a prophet so maybe just maybe nine months on the FYT isn't so bad maybe you, maybe you started out in trilogy but you quit I want to encourage you to persevere. Maybe you were like kind of training to be a small group leader or, or some kind of ministry leader and it just kind of, you know, you, you just dropped it. I, I want to encourage you to persevere in that. Or maybe 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 when you started your walk with Jesus, I mean, you discipleship, I mean, you were into that. Like you were growing and you were you were seeking those things out and you had... Uh, uh, disciplines, and, 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 and you were learning from one or two or three different people, like you were growing into, but you've, you've dropped discipleship. Those things have dissipated. I, I want to encourage us to persevere in training. Multiple times in the New Testament, Paul compares this to athletes. And athletes have a prize in, me, in mine, and, and they train, and Paul's like, in his writing, he's like, look, I'm not messing around. I, I'm not like just trying to follow Jesus here. I'm not like just trying, I, I, I'm, I'm strategizing i'm intentional i'm going after a prize you know often it says uh, athletes will say things like this after a game it says you know what? i left everything on the floor I, I just left it out all on the court unless you're the miami heat and but you but it, you just left it all on the court like you and so for what a per, for a reap for a prize that is perishable this is what Paul says, look, hey friends, we get, we, we've, got this, we've got this prize that is imperishable. And, and I know that for true, I, like when, on that day, when I, when I go before God, I, 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 I want to be able to say I left it all in the field. That God, you gave me one, two, five talents, and look, I've doubled your investment, that I, I, I was intentional, I, I, I went after it, and I, and I killed every enemy that was in the way of that pursuit, and I went and I went after it. I want to be able to say that, I want to be able to say at the end of my life that I gave everything... I gave everything that I had to go after the call that you had on my life. And I know this about everyone here. If you're a Christian, you've got a call in your life. My question is, have you, have you, are you still on the training program though? Whatever that could be. I love this quote from Mark Griscoll from his book, Call to Resurgence. You can buy this on the book table. This is what he says. He says, we've got work to do. There are lost people to reach, churches to plant and nations to evangelize. Hell is hot, forever is a long time and it's our turn to stop making a dent and start making a difference. This is no time to trade in our boots for flip-flops. What about you? Do you understand? Are you, are you, you, do you have this vision in front of you and are you going after it or are you traded in your boots for flip-flops? Don't wear flip-flops tomorrow, guys. We need to persevere in training. Okay, let's pick it up in 2 Kings 2.1. Flip over uh, to the right. 2 Kings 2.1. We'll be in verse 1. This is where um, Elijah actually starts out as a prophet. So number one, we need to persevere in our training. Now, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind... Um, just a little note there. I mean, this is like this is that passage where like a chariot comes and takes Elijah up. And you know, we had this song that we sing in like kids' school, like sweet, you know, sweet the sweet chariot, swing low, sweet char- whatever that is, like coming forward to t- carry me home. Uh, there's nothing sweet about this picture, by the way. I mean, let me ask you a question: When you look in the sky and you see a whirlwind kind of going around, what is that called? It's called a tornado. That's why later, Elisha's going to rip, he's going to say, oh my gosh, what's going on here? So this is not a sweet scene, but anyway, that's not what I want to say. Elijah, I just want you to know what the Bible says. Elijah and Elisha were on their way to Gilgal, and Elisha said, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, now you got want this guy around on your team. He says, as the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. Verse 4, So repeat. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. Verse 6. Deja vu. Elijah said to him, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives, and as you yourself lives, I will not leave you. We need perseverance in training, and we need perseverance in relationships. We need perseverance in relationships. 38%, according to Barna, 38% of people will change their church this year. There are pastors all over this country saying, well, if I, if I, if I say this, are they going to leave? Are they going to leave? And here's Elijah, like, like, get away from me. I mean, he's like doing the opposite, like, go. He's like, no, I'm not going to leave. What, what would a church look like If everyone's like, man, I'm not leaving this place. I'm not leaving you. I'm not leaving. I'm not, I'm not, God's brought me into this. He's called me into this. I'm not leaving. I'm going to stay with you. You see, there's this, there's this idea, this made up idea that, that real relationships and really good relationships are the ones that come easy. It's kind of like this, there's this sparkle, there's this magic, and it's just kind of like, you know, it's all easy. But I just want you to know that that's not a relationship, That person has become an object of your own desires and wants. That's not a relationship. You've objectified that person. You exist for me. But biblical unity is something that we fight for, that we pray for, and we learn to die to ourselves for. That's what biblical unity is. Biblical unity is living on the belief that the we is more important than the me. Paul said that, man, just you have one mind about you. Be, be one mind. Be together on things. We need to have biblical unity. You do not need that, you do not underestimate, too, just how focused in on ourselves we are. Martin Luther said that the heart is curved in on itself, right? Like it just has this way. Like if you don't pay attention to the selfishness in your heart and the way that you make it about you, it, it just you're always going to impact on you. If you if you just kind of leave your life in neutral, it's going to come back to you, every single time. I mean that's true of my life anyway. Hey, how many of you here paint? Like it's not like your job. But you like you paint a bathroom or something or, or something like that, right? You all need to paint your houses, guys. I mean it's like time to freshen up. Um, I hate painting. I hate painting almost as much as I hate working in the backyard. And, and the reason why I hate painting is cleaning the brush. I mean, it's like an exercise in futility. I mean, you're like, you got that brush under the wall. I mean, even though it's water-based paint and all that, I get that. But like no matter how much I squeeze at it and, like, and try to get the paint out, there's always some paint there. And even when I think I got it out, I give one last squeeze, and there's still paint that comes out. My heart, my heart is just like that when it comes to selfishness. As soon as I think I got it all out, I got married. <laughs> there's still a little bit in there. Oh, okay, now it's all out. We had Ella. Had another kid, had another kid. Man, there's more selfishness. Get around other people, more selfishness. Man, are just we gotta watch it. Biblical unity. We're going for it is so huge. And this is why it's so huge, because And it's so important because this is exactly what Jesus, this is one of the big things that Jesus came to die on the cross for. Is to kill that part of you that wants to make it about you. See, the the, the cross of the sin separates me from you. It separates me from God, but it separates me from you. The blood of Jesus brings us together. That activity coming together under unity. That's why Jesus says, you know, the love and the unity that you have. I and mean, that's how they're going to know that you're mine. And that when the church comes together, when people come together and they lay down their agendas and, and they seek the, the we more than the me, man, that, then, then that's when the manifold wisdom of God is going to be put on display. Because everyone's going to look and see this community and say, man, who in the world can get people to kind of operate in, under that? Well, the only one, it's God. We We need to persevere. And our relationships. So verse 8, let's continue. That's number 2. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water. And the water was parted to one side and to the other. till the other two of them could go on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. He's like, look man, you've been with me for 18 years. You've carried my suitcase. You've done my dry cleaning. What can I do for you? What do you want? And Elisha said, Please let there be... A double portion of your spirit on me. Here's a third area where where we need to persevere. We need to persevere in our God-given dreams. After 18 years, Elisha had not lost his passion for dreaming as he asked for a double portion here. Now, I just want to be clear here. What What he wasn't doing here was asking to be like twice as good as Elijah. He wasn't saying, I want to be twice as good as you, or twice as anointed as you, or twice as powerful, and asking for a double portion. He was basically asking to be treated like the firstborn. In Deuteronomy 21, it says that the firstborn son must receive a double portion of his father's estate. So what he's saying is like, I want to be the leader. I want to be your successor. I want to be, I want, there's these 50 prophets that he's working with as well. He says, I, give, give me the, the most responsibility. I'll take on this mantle. Give it to me. Is what Elisha was asking for, and he was asking for a big, very, very big thing. And God likes it when we ask for big things. I mean, you read the New Testament, you see Jesus. Jesus says things like, "Man, you have not because you ask not." So ask me for things. Ask in my name, and it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it'll be opened. Um, You know, call out and I'll answer. If you want, if you ask for bread, guess what? I'll give you bread you ask for fish, guess what? I'll give you fish. You know what? I'll even give you the Holy Spirit if you ask. So why aren't you asking? Here's why we don't ask. Because we too often look to our own deficiency and not his sufficiency. We look at, we look at our own lives and we say, oh, I can't really accomplish anything and So I'm not really going to ask for much. And we don't look to his sufficiency. You know what? And it really ticks God off. I'll I'll show you. Remember this scene in Moses? Exodus 4, 10 through 14. Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow to speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. But Moses said, Lord, please send someone else to do it. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. There's a saying that says, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. But apparently, if you want to make God mad, tell him why you can't do what he asks you to do. We got to dream big. That's why you got to love Elijah. He has this bold request and he asked on to take on this responsibility. He says, "Give it to me. I, I want I want this. I'll I'll be your fir- I'll be the first one. I'll be I'll take on this double portion." And then Elijah said, "You have asked for a hard thing." Hard for who? Is this going to be hard for Elijah? Man, I'm really going to have to whip up a really good prayer for this one. I'm going to have to really fast. I'm really going to have to, you know, I'm going to really, I mean, that whole thing with the water and the fire. I mean, that was one thing. But it's going to be a whole other ball of wax. This wasn't going to be hard for Elijah to give it. He was saying it was going to be hard for you, Elisha, to receive it and to carry it. There's a quote um, in a lot of high school gyms. Uh, I'll show it to you. It's just, it goes like this. Where, where is it? The dream is free. The hustle is sold separately. The dream is free. The hustle is sold separately. The dream is free, but the journey isn't. Let us persevere in our dreaming, but let's be sober-minded so that we count the cost. Otherwise, as Jesus said, you know, we'll build a building and only have a foundation. We'll go out to war and we won't have sufficiently count the cost. Proverbs 13.12 says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. Some of us are sick but because we had these dreams, because we've been these idealists, and we've been like, we've been dreaming about things, but we've never really considered what it was going to require of us. You've got to love Elijah, who's, who, who, yeah, you've had, you know, this is amazing that you're dreaming, but I just want you to know you've asked for a hard thing. You're, this is going to be a hard thing for you to carry out in your life. He asked for a hard thing. We have dreams and visions, but we've never counted the cost. Martin Luther King said, the difference between a visionary and a dreamer is a dreamer has his eyes closed. Do you have your eyes open? Do you understand what you're getting into? It's important that we're sober-minded about this. That we have because you know, sometimes we can look at pe- guys like you know Terry and John and all the things that we they, they've done and the dreams that they've had and the dreams that they still have, and we can think it's a cakewalk. But we don't know. We don't. We don't see the sacrifice. We don't see the burden. Sometimes guys will come up to me and say things like, man, I want to do what you do. I'm like, that's cute. Um, <laughs> because what they, what they see is a face mic and influence, but I, I think about the pain and the sacrifice. They, they see a, the blessing, I see the burden. Are, are you, are you want to talk about what you give up. Do you want to talk about uh, the relational shrapnel? Do you want to talk about the criticism. Do you want to talk about that? You, you, do you understand what you're asking? You're asking for a hard thing. That's why Paul says, hey man, you want to be an elder? Great. You need to be this guy. Because if you're not this guy, you're not going to last. you got to be built. you gotta be, You got to understand what you're getting into. You, it's great that you're dreaming, but you've asked for a hard thing. The path to follow your God-given dreams is not wide, easy, and comfortable but it's narrow, bumpy, and wrought with pain because it involves carrying a cross. But there's joy in that. Hebrews 12 says that, uh, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy set, do you know what a cross is? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Now this doesn't mean that Jesus was, you know, the night before the cross, it wasn't like, yes! Whoa! I'm going to the cross tomorrow! That wasn't what happened. It was very clear That he said, God, man, if there's another way, I'm open to ideas here. I I don't want to do this. But for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That word endured there in the Greek means a hyperstand, which means that you, you really get underneath something. Like if you're going to pick up something heavy, you don't just walk by and pick it up like this. But if you're going to pick up something heavy, you reach down and you get underneath it. That's what it means to hypersend. That's what it means to endure. It means that w- these, these dreams and these things that God has given us, we need to really get underneath them to endure them and walk this through. For the joy set before somehow that Jesus was able to see through the corridors of, co- of time and for the joy of seeing you and me. And all of us here, saved from our damnation, he endured the cross. Let's persevere in our dreaming. But let's hear Elijah say, man, you've asked for a hard thing. Not that we would run away, but that we would be sober-minded. And we would not give up when the blood and the sweat and the tears come. Okay, turn Second Kings 13. This is the last one. we're skipping a lot of cool stuff a lot of people being raised from the dead he threw salt in the water and changed the economy A axe floated to the top of a river a lot of cool stuff there was some stew that was uh, like poison or something and he fixed that I mean he did some cool stuff man but we're going to skip all that 2 Kings um, 13, this is at the end of uh, Elisha's life, and he's very sick. He's getting ready to die. In fact, I'm going to ruin it for you. He does die. And um, and there's this evil king who finds himself in trouble. And like most of us, when we find ourselves in trouble, our desire to go to God heightens. And that's what happens here. And we're going to pick it up uh, in verse 14. Now, when Elisha had fallen sick with illness of which he was to die, see, you know, there it is. And Joash, king of Israel, went down to him and wept for him, crying, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And Elisha said to him, Take a bow and its arrows. So he took the bow and arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, Draw the bow. And he drew it. And Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands and said, Open the, win- uh, the window eastward. And he opened it. And then Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot. And then he said, the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Syria. For you shall fight the Syrians of Aphek until you have made an end to them. And he said, take the arrows. And he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground with them. And he struck three times. And he stopped. Then the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times. And you would have struck down Syria until you have made an end of it. But now you will strike down Syria only three times. So Elisha died and they buried him. (laughs) It's kind of a strange ending. I mean, like he, like, it was his day job to raise people from the dead. And he ends his life giving an archery lesson to some wicked king. And he's mad at him. And I can't figure out why he's mad at him. Because all he said to him, hey, strike the ground. And so the king's like, all right, I'll strike the ground. And he stops. And so, I don't know. He's like, why is he mad at him? Well, maybe a little bit of historical context would help. Because back in this context, well, first of all, the king would have known that the number of times that he struck the, the ground would have represent the number of victories that he would win over Syria. And back then, you didn't just fight your enemy once, and then that was it. You I mean, you fight your enemy once, and, you know, you get things going. If you, if you beat him two or three times, you can kind of push him back and keep things at bay. But to completely destroy your enemy, you had to beat him like five or six times. And so it's as if uh, Elisha comes to him and says, hey, look, God is going to give you the victory. God has promised you this victory. Now, strike the arrow. So he's like, right, I'll strike the arrow with the ground. So he strikes it. And it's as if Elisha says, are you serious? The God of the universe, the one who, who flung the stars into space and knows them by name, says, I am going to give you complete victory over your enemy. And you go, why? Why? Did you stop striking the ground? You should have kept striking the ground. If you would have kept striking the ground, you would have completely destroyed your enemies. Why did he stop striking the ground? Here's why he stopped striking the ground. He knew every time he struck the ground meant another battle he would have to fight, and he was tired. Of fighting the battles. He was tired of planting yet another church. He was tired of raising up yet another leader. He was tired of counseling yet another marriage. Of casting yet another vision. So the king struck only enough just to kind of push the enemies back at bay. The king was only interested in survival. And you know what? Most Christians are only interested in surviving the world. But God did not raise us up to survive the world. He raised us up with Christ to change the world through the power of the gospel and his church. Why have you stopped striking the ground? God says he's with you. God said that you have everything you need for life and godliness. That you have my spirit in abundance if you ask. Because there's somebody here who's doing what God asked him to do. God said, hey, strike the ground. He said, all right, you you want me to strike the ground? So I'll strike the ground. But you're just kind of doing it. You're showing up, but you're just kind of showing up. You're engaging community, but you're just kind of engaging community. You're leading a small group or a church or whatever. You're leading, but you're just kind of leading. You're, you're certainly not doing it with the same passion that you used to. You're raising your kids, but you're just kind of raising your kids. Why? Because you're, you're tired of fighting. Here's my fourth encouragement to us tonight in perseverance. We need to persevere in fighting the battles. Because this romantic idea that was true 2,000 years ago is true today. There's nothing that will stop the advancing church. There's a beautiful dream for us in the kind of communities he wants to, us to build. There, there are big promises and dreams and, of reproducing churches and planting churches. And my question for you is how much impact do you want to make with your life? How much of eternity do you want to affect How many of your friends and your relatives do you really want to know, that you really want to know what the the true nature of the gospel in Jesus? How much glory do you want Jesus to get through your life? Here's what you need to do tonight. You need to strike the ground a little more. You need to come before God, and you need to say, God, I want to respond to the dreams that you have. I, I'm tired of fighting the, battle, the battles. I, I'm, I'm worn out. I'm tired. I'm overwhelmed. And I don't even know how I'm going to do it. Some of us, we discount what God's going to do because we don't know how he's going to do it. I can't do this because I don't have the time. I can't do this because I don't have the, re, the resources. But you know what? Christians are not people who only believe and act upon what they are able to do or you wouldn't be a Christian. I don't know if you forgot this or not, but you can't pull off righteousness. That's not within you. The salvation that you have is not within your resource. And the things that God has called you to do is not within your resource. But he calls you to do it nonetheless. And when you move out in faith, you know, what, what was just a few fish and loaves becomes enough to feed a multitude. God is interested in you believing him and, and, and trusting in what he wants to do in your life. The king of the universe is fighting for you. And if you rely on him, and if you trust him, and you can confess like Paul, hey, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Man, you can strike the ground. And you can gain total victory in these dreams that God has given you, that God has given your church, that God has given your group, that God has given your kids' ministry. The things that he's put on your heart If you're willing tonight to come before God and strike the ground a few more times, don't stop at three. Don't stop at survival. Don't do just enough to get by. Believe, believe in the God of miracles. Believe in the God who says he will do exactly what he said he'll do. Why don't we stand? Man, if you could come up. But I want to ask you guys tonight where you need endurance, where you need perseverance. Training. If you just, you know, you, God, God you, you had a path for your life, you got on some training course. And by course, I don't mean something <laughs> structural, I just mean like a, a plan, you know, and I, uh, a path. What about relationships? You need perseverance in your relationships. About dreaming. Maybe you just don't dream anymore. Maybe you just don't believe things anymore. You've grown tired of fighting the battles. Now, I just want to encourage us to strike the ground, to keep striking the ground. I just want to pray for us. If you, if you just feel like you need to respond to this, will you, just, will you just kind of raise your hand? I just want to pray for you. Will you just raise your hand? You just feel like, man, I just want to... You say, God, I've just, I'm just tired. I'm just not persevering. I'm kind of leading, but I'm not really leading with the same passion. I'm kind of doing what I feel like I'm supposed to do, but my heart's not really in it. I'm hedging my bets. I've stopped dreaming. I've stopped training i stop stopped moving forward. God, I just thank you for your abundant grace poured out on our lives. We, we just thank you that you, that, we, that you did it all, that you won the victory. Lord, in this life of yours, you now, you, you give to us. You impart your life to us. And God, we just ask, God of victory, will you come and rest on our hearts tonight? Will you strengthen us? Will you remind us of your goodness? Lord, we just repent for not believing in you for not trusting you. Lord, we just ask for fresh faith and fresh vision. Thank you, Jesus.